this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast western powers particularly the group of seven wealthy nations or the g7 are working to fix a price cap on russian oil they expect major buyers in the west australia included will comply and not buy russian oil above the price cap their hope is that even countries that don't formally subscribe to the cap will use the opportunity to negotiate with russia and buy urals crude at prices cheaper than even the price that they now get which is said to be at a 20 to 30% discount to global oil prices the idea is to allow russian oil to continue to flow in the global markets so that supply constraints don't drive up prices and hence strengthen the possibility of a global recession that is already on the horizon there's no saying if this will take off or fall apart but the us has been able to convince the g7 to go along with the proposal we have with us today david wessel director of the hutchins center on fiscal and monetary policy at the brookings institution and a two-time pulitzer prize winner as journalist to share some perspectives with us uh, mr wessel thank you so much for being with us today and it's a privilege for us to be with you and you've been awarded the pulitzer prize twice and it's awesome that you're with us today this morning thank you i shared the pulitzer prize but i still appreciate the comments excellent so uh, the the conversation is going to be around the oil price cap that the g7 has proposed and today i saw a writer's copy that said they agreed to a fixed price rather than a floating price linked to an index but before we get to the price cap decision itself i just wanted to go over a couple of points that seemed to have or uh, events that seemed to have preceded this decision one is of course us treasury secretary janet yellen had proposed a tariff on global oil price and second is the european powers had imposed a ban on insurance of oil tankers carrying russian oil that kicks in from next month so on these two counts uh, i'd like to have your view on what led to the thinking is it like a trial and error let's see if this works thinking aloud uh, kind of approach and why do you think neither of these actually took off or will not be effective well i think it's important to start first with what are the objectives here and this is not simple the objectives are to keep oil flowing from russia because the world economy cannot function well without russian oil but to reduce the revenues that russia is getting from exporting its oil which helps fuel its war machine so for some time there's been very creative thinking about how can we accomplish both of these aims and if it were a bunch of phd economists sitting around in a seminar room they would propose a tariff and they would discuss why they think the incidence of the tariff would be on russia rather than the consumers of oil but as always often the case what economists think is not always what politicians can accept so that idea never got off the ground then what happened is the europeans and the americans very quickly said well we're not going to buy any russian oil but that was largely symbolic uh particularly in the us we don't buy much russian oil and moreover oil is a world market so what if we can buy oil from venezuela and saudi arabia and india and china can buy oil for russia it's all one world market it doesn't really matter but then the europeans did something that i think they hadn't quite thought through which was as you said they announced in their sixth 
sanctions package that as of December 5th, European and British companies would no longer be able to provide insurance and other services to tankers covering Russian oil. And the U.S. felt like this was really a huge mistake because insurance and piloting services and refinancing and all that is pretty important to the world oil market and tankers going through, say, the Suez Canal or docking at Rotterdam or something wouldn't be able to do so if they couldn't get grade A insurance. So in a sense, the oil price cap was the U.S. attempt to provide a safety valve in a, on the on the European sanction that they thought the European sanction hadn't been thought through very well and would have really bad consequences for the world economy because if Russia really stops or can't export oil, then the price will go up and that'll be bad for the world economy and so forth. I don't think it's at all dead. I think that there's very active uh, negotiation now about the details. There were some stories in addition to the one you mentioned. There's stories about how they're thinking about where the price would have to be fixed so that uh, the price cap would apply to oil when it's purchased initially, but middlemen could raise the price and so forth. Um, so I suspect in some form it will be implemented, but there will be a lot of leakage and a lot of uncertainty about how well it's working, particularly because it comes at a time when the world economy is slowing and so there's downward pressure on oil prices. And then, of course, there's OPEC, which can uh, influence the price of oil independent of whatever any cap is. No, absolutely. I uh, quite recognize the fact that it's important to keep the uh, flows from Russia, oil flows, uh, going, but at the same time trying to cut revenue so that it doesn't make too much money that aids its uh, invasion of Ukraine. But having said that, how would this oil price cap work? You know, is it formulaic? Is it dependent on consensus? Because not too many details are out, except that, you know, we do know that there has been hectic negotiations that will have to kick in by the time the insurance ban kicks in from Western powers. So do you have a view on this? Right. Well, it's complicated. And there have been some guidance from the Treasury about how this would work. And they're making clear that there's not going to be some international police force going around checking oil. Uh, they will have to, each uh, country is going to enforce it on its own and vessels carrying Russian oil will have to have some evidence of what they paid for oil, but no one's going to jail for violating it. And there's lots of details that are far beyond my competence. People who are more familiar with the oil industry than I am say that they divide. Some people say it'll work and some people say there's going to be so much cheating around the edges, it'll be largely symbolic. One of the interesting things that you hear from the G7, the Treasury in particular, is that they don't think that every country that buys oil needs to fully subscribe to the oil price cap for it to have the desired effect. So their logic is that India, of course, has been buying a lot of Russian oil. And to the extent that this oil price cap is imposed by the Western powers, it may give, or so the Treasury argues, uh, more leverage to China and India to negotiate a deeper discount when they buy Russian oil. And that would achieve the goals of the thing by reducing the revenues to Russia, even if quietly, uh, even if the countries like India and China are not formally subscribing to it. 
Okay. So is there a consensus around what it could be? Because, you know, there's also a danger that the oil price cap could just become symbolic because anyway, Russia seems uh, threatened, you know, it doesn't want to lose too much revenue. It just wants to keep some, you know, some of the volumes up. So it's selling at a discounted price to China and India and, the, and even Saudi Arabia of all countries. So is there a view that this could, the oil price cap could settle at $50, $60 to a barrel, considering that right now it's going at 95 I don't, they're being very, obviously there's a lot of talking going on. I noticed that the Deputy Secretary of the Treasury is taking a trip to Europe, and Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, is going to the G20 meetings in Indonesia with a stop in India. So I suspect there's a lot of talk about how best to set it. I think the principle is pretty clear. You want to set the cap high enough so that it covers the marginal cost of producing oil in Russia. You want Russia to have some incentive to keep pumping oil. And the argument from the proponents of this is that, yeah, Putin is irrational and Putin may have objectives that are not fully economic, but that it would be very costly for him to stop exporting oil, not only because the revenue is important, but because if they stop producing oil from these wells, it will be hard to start it up again and that um, there would be big costs to the Russian economy of disrupting the flow of oil. Um, we'll have to see what they do. And I think there is a lot of concern that Putin might retaliate in other ways. I mean, for instance, we've already seen him use natural gas as an economic weapon. You know, will he further, there's now natural gas flowing to Europe through Ukraine. Will he cut that off? Um, he will look, he may look for places where the West is vulnerable in order to get back at them for doing this. And he knows that there's a lot of anxiety, particularly in Europe, about whether high energy prices are undermining the political support for continuing to back Ukraine. So he will want to do things to push energy prices up. This has the effect of letting the government say, we're doing something to push them down, capping oil. But as I said earlier, uh, OPEC is not a neutral player in this. And what OPEC has basically said is we're going to, if you push down the price of oil too far, we're going to restrain supply and push it back up. So there's so many parties here. I think uh, you're right to think about the details of how this will work. And it's complicated and there may be a lot of cheating. But the Treasury argues that as long as the overall effect is to reduce the revenues to Russia, we can tolerate the cheating. But it will be very hard to enforce. A lot will depend on how OPEC and Russia respond. And of course, a lot also depends on the world economy. I mean, Russia's oil revenues may be going down because demand is going down because the world economy is slowing. Understood. It's interesting. I think in a podcast in September that you yourself had conducted, I think uh, Deputy Secretary um, of the Treasury, Mr. Wally Adiemo, uh, you know, one of the things that came out was uh, Russia cannot afford to say, you know, I won't export oil at all because then it would mean shutting down uh, some of its fields and that's difficult to bring those back up. It's, they don't have really modern equipment. That was interesting. But if I look at the top buyers of Russian oil, especially after the war started, it would be China, India, you know, Saudi Arabia and France. Those are the top four names that came up. So, you know, from your earlier point, what I understand is even if a price cap is set, let's say, imagine it's $50 per barrel, 
And even if Russia goes one-on-one with each of these countries and you know, it's maybe at a premium to this $50, it's still worth the effort you know, for the West to say, okay, we're actually cutting down revenues. What could have been 70 or 80 is actually you know, much further down. Is, would that be the approach of the West? Yeah, exactly. So like, think about it this way. The price of oil now, the Brent price of oil is uh, $98 at the moment, the futures price. So one of the goals of this thing is to get the discount that China and India get from that price. The, it's called the Ural discount for the Ural markets. And I don't know what it is now. There's a lot of estimates. Nobody really knows is to make that as big as possible. And so presumably France will not be buying Russian oil if they are now. And if they did, it would be subject to the cap. But I don't expect India or China to fully sign on to the thing. What what the, the G7 needs is for them to A, cooperate and B, use it as leverage to get a bigger discount. And so, yes, uh, if we set the price cap at 50 and India buys oil at 60, uh, but that's lower than the 70 or 80 it would have paid without the price cap, then the, the G7 will calculate that as a big win. Okay. It's interesting, the economics of the oil industry, uh, you know, it's significant here because typically, you know, economics teaches us that when a cartel breaks, uh, you know, someone undercuts the rest of the market, then there is a race to the bottom. But that does not happen for the global oil prices because Russia, obviously, even with OPEC plus, you know, the grouping and all that, it's obviously selling at a discounted price because of a certain development. But uh, it's interesting that the global oil prices, you know, kept pace, uh, if anything, uh, before the threat of the economic uh, recession uh, set in it went all the way past $130 per barrel, if I'm not mistaken. So it's interesting that they seem to be working in a couple of silos. Uh, do you have a view on this? Well, first I would say that OPEC has been a spectacularly successful cartel. While there is always cheating, some countries produce more oil than they said they were going to, it's been remarkable how durable it's been. And if it were easy to organize uh counter-consumer cartel, I think that would have happened a long time ago. So what we see here is basically an attempt by the West to take advantage of a peculiarity in the oil market that while oil is found in Saudi Arabia and Russia and Venezuela and even in the United States, the services that maritime shipping uses for oil, insurance, financing, stuff like that, piloting of the boats is concentrated in Europe and the UK. And they are using this financial bottleneck as a lever to try and influence what's going on in the oil market. This probably is not a long-term strategy because presumably over time, Chinese insurance companies, Indian insurance companies, Russian insurance companies, and so forth will find ways to provide the insurance to satisfy the Egyptians at the Suez Canal, for instance. But for the moment, it's a, it's a vulnerability. And then as I understand it, there's a lot of talk about something vaguely called maritime services. And some of that has to do with the fact that some of the oil from Russia goes through ocean straits that are controlled by Denmark. And it usually requires a Danish pilot to help steer the ship. And that could be another lever here where the, the Danes could say, you can't push a Russian ship with oil through our straits 
unless it's agreed to be sold by the cap. So what this is, you're right, oil is a huge global industry. Largely, the price is very highly influenced by a cartel, OPEC. And there is this narrow bottleneck through which maritime oil, not not oil that goes through pipelines, which isn't covered by this, is uh, vulnerable. And that's the financial system of the UK and Europe. And so this is, I think, a very clever idea to identify what, where is Russia vulnerable in this whole global market and an attempt to use that lever as we've used other levers to try and put sanctions on Russia. And, you know, there is no evidence uh, in the public domain that Russia has been, you know, sort of scrambling to counter this. Obviously, they are in the know, but there is little, precious little that they can do to uh, stop this from impacting them. That, that's my understanding. Would that be accurate? Right. I think what they can do is make clear to the Germans or others that, okay, if you pursue this, here are six things we're going to do for you, uh, do to you. So like, you know, there was this ex- mysterious explosion of one of the gas pipelines in the North Sea. There, I think that they, if they fight back, they will fight back on some turf that's more advantageous to them. On the other hand, it's totally possible that they'll just let this go, that you know, they'll, they'll still get money, not as much money as before. They got a lot of things on their plate. I think it's one of the most important things about this being implemented by December 5th is showing both the Russians and the Ukrainians and the rest of the world that the coalition is holding together. And when I first heard about this plan from the Treasury, I thought it was crazy. I thought it was like something that was thought up by a couple of graduate students at some public policy school who had smoked too much marijuana before they did their homework. And uh, over time, I've become convinced that it actually was very clever, and I've been quite impressed by the um, uh, U.S. Treasury's ability to convince other countries, including the G7, but also countries like Australia, to go along. And when you step back and look at the whole scope of the contest between Ukraine and its allies, on one side and Russia on the other, the ability of these countries with very different energy situations, very different domestic political situations to hold together on something like this, as complicated as this and as so poorly understood as this, I think is pretty remarkable. And if I were in the Kremlin, I'd be a little worried that my hopes of splintering the Western coalition are falling apart. But I think I was recently at a conference on Ukraine in Berlin and also in Washington when here's a great deal of anxiety about the countries in the global south, India included, and are they committed to standing up for Ukraine and its sovereignty or are they trying to s- somehow spread, be neutral between Russia or and Ukraine? And so I think what the Treasury is trying to convince these countries is that you don't have to make a big political statement that you're on our side. But if you cooperate with us on this thing, you'll get cheaper oil, and that's good for you. It's good for us because we're punishing Russia. But let me explain to you how it's good for you. And I think that's really important. Excellent. That was very insightful. Um, I've exhausted my list of questions. Anything else you think we should have dwelt on? Okay. Well, I'm happy to be helpful. I look forward to talking further when this gets implemented or falls apart. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Uh, I look forward to that, Mr. Vesel. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.